Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House Podcast with me, your host, Louise Rumble, and the incredible Dr. Terry Mack. Today, we're going to be talking about how can you be your own red flag when it comes to communicating. These things start super early. Now, the people in the house and the people that listen to the podcast are very self-aware. There's an amazing shift in terms of people looking inwards. But I still think that as a society, as a whole, we often look to the other, the things that they do, the things that they say, and why they might be the way they are. Today, we are bringing the focus back to you. And we're going to be looking at the things that we might think, that we might say, or that we might do or not do that actually might cause problems. So we are going to just jump in with some of the more important ones. And I think over to you. How are you, Terry? And which one should we start with? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to do this episode because you're right. This is not something a lot of people think about. And the truth is, if we're not looking at ourselves, we are probably blocking love or sabotaging love without even knowing it. So I'm really excited to get into this list. There's a lot to talk about, but we're going to cover the major ones today. So the first one is really important, and that is that we expect our partner to think, act, and feel the way that we do. We do not understand that we are not dating ourselves. And so we apply meaning to our partner's behavior or our partner's feelings based on what we would feel, say, or do. And when we do that, we create a lot of expectations and we create a lot of misunderstanding. And, you know, just to give an example of this, let's say that we wake up in the morning, the first thing we think of is the person we're dating. And so we want to send them a text and maybe we do send them a text. And if they don't send us a text in the morning, the first thing when they wake up, we might apply meaning to that. We often do like, oh, they're not thinking about me. They don't care about me on and on and on. The number one tool to use to combat this mistake that most of us make in relationships is curiosity. So instead of assuming you know how your partner feels about things or why your partner does what he or she does, you have to apply curiosity to everything. And this is that important part of discovery and getting to know someone. And by the way, that doesn't stop after three months. It will continue. So as an example, 
if you start to notice, hey, this is bothering me. I feel like I'm always texting him or her in the morning, but he's never, he or she is never texting me. Then when you're together, sometimes observe that and say, I'm wondering, like, do you think about texting me in the morning? How do you feel about texting in the morning? Is it something that doesn't occur to you? Like, just be curious with no judgment, because that is the way you're going to really understand how that other person thinks, feels, and works. And you have to allow for them to be who they are. And if you want somebody to feel safe with you, you need to set the tone that, listen, I want to know who you are. I want to know how you work. And your job is not to just always make me happy and do things the way that I do them. Does that make sense? Total sense. And that is the perfect example, because in that situation, you are looking at the other. They're not texting me. They're not thinking about me. You're creating a meaning because you expected something from someone without ever talking about it, ever discussing it and applying meaning to a situation. So I think that is such a good example to jump in with. And I love how today is like a really nuanced discussion around like the things that happen under the things. So let's talk about how can you be your own red flag when it comes to communicating? So I want to start by talking about what John Gottman, who is a famous psychologist and relationship researcher, calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And basically, these are the four things that show up in your conflict with your partner that predict divorce or breakup of a relationship. Couples would move into this apartment full of cameras. He would ask them to talk about the things that they routinely fight about. And then the cameras would watch them. The researchers would code what they were saying. And from this, he pulled out these four horsemen that if they show up in your conflict style, they're not good. They're going to kill your relationship. So I want to go through those today because a lot of people have no clue about these. And these are the four things you need to avoid in yourself. And you need to avoid a partner who does these things as well. So the first one is contempt. So contempt is when we are speaking in a disrespectful tone to our partner, we're eye rolling, we're mocking. That is not okay. That's not kind. And it's not respectful. So if you cannot have a disagreement or a conflict in your relationship without being sarcastic, rolling your eyes, mocking your partner, you need to fix that. And I also looked into that Gottman research. The eye rolling implies that you are superior to them. And driving the dynamic of one partner being superior to the other is always going to lead to long-term breakdowns of a relationship. That is one that I have experienced personally. You know, my ex-boyfriend would give me the feedback that I would roll my eyes at him and it really, really upset him and he really hated it. And I wasn't as healthy as I am now. And I'd be like, I didn't even roll my eyes. You know, I just would, I would just reduce his experience. So I now understand the damage that it can do, especially in conflict and also just generally. And now in my current relationship, which is a lot healthier, I am very aware. And now I'm able to have a very healthy discussion and be like, babe, you just eye rolled me. It's so important that we don't do this. You know, let's both really make a conscious effort. These things start super early. They start in your first conflict, which is way before you're into a deep long-term relationship. So I think it is so important that we're going through these. Yes. And that is why pacing is so important because just what you said, you're, you don't really know someone until you have your first conflict. 
And that's when you're going to get a glimpse of how healthy of a partner they are. So again, like let's, let's star pacing here. Okay. The second one, which I wish I would have started with, because for me, I think this is the most important. And I think that it is one of the biggest red flags and that is defensiveness. And I mentioned it before, but defensiveness means that when your partner brings you feedback or brings up an issue or tells you their feelings, you perceive it as an attack. And instead of creating space to hear them out, to listen, you automatically negate it. You make excuses, you shoot it down, you get angry. This is a relationship killer. It goes back to that thing we talked about with feedback. But I also want to tie it into accountability, right? Which is one of the most important things to look for in a partner and one of the most important things you have to have if you want to be a healthy partner and have a healthy relationship. And that means that you own your part in relationship dynamics. And if your partner, just in your example, Louise, where you pointed out to your boyfriend, hey, you know, I don't like that and it's not healthy. He heard you. He took it on board. He didn't say that's ridiculous. That would be defensive. He didn't do that. He was reasonable. He was accountable. He took it on board. So defensiveness, I want you all to think, am I defensive in my conflicts? If you are, you need to stop that. You need to work on it. Honestly, I, if someone used to criticize me, I'd be like, let's fucking go. You want to do this? You want to tell me what I've done wrong? Let me tell you what you've done wrong. Not healthy, but I'd be triggered and I'd be like, yeah, let's go. I am ready for this. And so for anyone listening that does feel defensive, it is so hard because you're physically being dysregulated as well. Your nervous system is being dysregulated. You are being flooded with chemicals during this period. But honestly, all you can do is just take a deep internal moment, even if you want to fucking scream. It doesn't have to be a nice, calm, meditative moment. It can be a like putting your your nails into your palms or just like, you know. And sometimes I say to my boyfriend, I feel really really wound up right now. I just need to take a moment. And if that's the only words I can get out, I know that that is growth for me in these moments. I might not be able to go and go on a walk, but I can just squeeze my fist and say, this feels horrible. We need to stop this. Otherwise this is going to escalate. He doesn't keep pushing me. He doesn't keep poking and poking. That gives me the ability to step into the other room, to take some breath, to calm down or say, actually, I feel really triggered by this. I need some space. I need some time. Let's revisit this. So I love what you said about defensiveness because you're right. Very dangerous to a relationship and also very hard to navigate yourself. Yeah. And I think it's so hard because often the defensiveness is covering up a deep, vulnerability. You know, we all have our own unique buttons that when somebody pushes those buttons, those buttons are connected to our wounds and our insecurities. So when somebody pushes one of those buttons, we want to be defensive. We feel attacked, even if it's not an attack. And so learning how to not be defensive means really looking at what are those vulnerabilities? What are those insecurities we have? And how do we heal those? Right? That ties into something that I saw this week on Instagram, which was basically saying that so many times when we're triggered, it's actually an 
age regression. And I think that that for me is fascinating, which is that so many times we feel triggered, which is really what's happening, like Dr. Terry said, underneath the defensiveness, is it's really our vulnerable inner child or some element of our inner child that maybe as a child felt overlooked or was told off or was scolded wrong and we didn't actually deserve it or they didn't know the truth. We want to fight back. We want to, as an adult, use the voice that maybe we didn't have as a child or we didn't have in situations of silence and suppression. So I love that understanding that actually defensiveness is a protection or is a real retaliation against the most vulnerable parts of ourselves. And I think it's okay to sit with the fact that maybe criticism will always be painful. I think it probably always will for me to some extent, because I'm sensitive, but actually just knowing that it's mainly sensitive for your inner child, the vulnerable part of you, the wounds within you, but that you are a grown adult that can help that wounded child to sort of navigate what comes next, I think is really important. Yes, I love that. And after we get through these four horsemen, I want to talk about like the next point, which is really showing up as an adult with adult coping strategies as opposed to these reactive childlike strategies. And I mentioned it before, but being able to receive feedback is so important because if we enter relationships feeling like we know everything and we're always right and what we need is the only way. And, you know, we're great and the other person has work to do. That is never going to work. And so we need to be open to understanding how other people experience us. And it's great when the feedback is positive and validating and encouraging, right? We all love that kind of feedback. But we also need to be open to somebody bringing us feedback and saying, I'm feeling a little bit suffocated by you. Or when you do this, it makes me feel like I don't have freedom to be myself or it makes me feel criticized. Instead of getting defensive, which means we negate what they're saying, we perceive it as an attack and we try to argue against it. We want to be open to hearing what their experience is. Now, of course, the other piece of this is we're open to hearing the feedback. We don't automatically internalize it. We don't say, oh, my God, I'm a horrible person. He or she is right. We take the feedback and we consider it and we ask ourselves, is there something in here for me that maybe I need to look at, right? So it's that balance of, okay, somebody that I'm dating, somebody close to me. And again, you, you should only be open to feedback from people who are also open to feedback about themselves and who have your best interest at heart. Because if you're in a relationship with somebody who is narcissistic or abusive or not accountable for their own behavior, I don't want you taking any feedback from them because that's a one-sided relationship. But if this is someone you trust then I want you to be open to considering what they're telling you. And sometimes it's really hard in the moment to hear it. So you can say, all right, I'm glad that you're being honest with me. I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling triggered by it. So I want to take some time to think about it. And then you go think about it and you own the pieces that you feel you need to own or you want to own. And you talk about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, total sense. And I think another thing I've learned from you is when that feedback comes in, it not to be about them, not to be about how could they do this? How could they say this? And also not to be about turning it round. You did this. 
So you might be giving me this feedback about this, but what about this? You didn't do this and I did that and you did that. And actually, like Dr. Terry said, receiving feedback is really, really hard, uh, especially in the beginning. And also, especially when you're very sensitive. Like I'm a very sensitive person. I get very upset by feedback or I used to get very upset by it. I would get triggered. I would feel dysregulated. I would either want to lash out or cry or, you know, just end up in that flurry of text messages where you're texting them back and blah, 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 like fingers at speed of light. And now what I do is, is I just have got so much better at saying to myself, that didn't make me feel good, but I know that replying in this heat of the moment is not right. And I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to come back to the situation and we will discuss it. Yes. I love that. Okay. So moving on, the third horseman is criticism and criticism is not feedback right? Feedback comes from a place of love and caring and honesty. Criticism is name calling. It's attacking somebody's character. So it's saying things like, you always do this. You never do this. You know, making grand generalizations about our partner. We're all probably guilty of doing this. Instead, what we need to be doing is saying, I didn't like when that happened, or I feel like this happens a lot not attacking their character. So if you find yourself speaking that way in conflict or making these grand generalizations of your partner, that's something you need to stop doing. I'm going to bring a really stupid analogy in here because there's really not a lot of of criticism going on or areas of conflict, but one area that there is, he's going to hate this, is his snoring, okay? It's a real issue for me. Like, I like my 10 hours sleep a night. I like, don't touch me. Like, just let me sleep. Just let me do my thing. Like I'm a big sleeper. I've never dated someone that snores before. And I didn't realize how much it impacts me during the night, the next day, my brain fog, my feelings, my emotions, et cetera, et cetera. Now I have got to a point where I will criticize him directly about the snoring because I'm angry. I'm annoyed. I'm frustrated. And he actually got upset because it feels like you're attacking me for something that is not within my control. And even just having this conversation has made me realize that I need to restructure those discussions to it not being about him. So I want to ask you, what's the best way to deliver feedback rather than criticism? Okay. So the way to deliver feedback so that it's not criticism is to be two things always, which is kind and honest. You always have to be doing those two things. So, you know, if you're telling your partner, God, you always do this, or this is so ridiculous, or I can't live with this, that's not kind. That's probably not exactly what you mean in the moment. But saying something like, you know, I know this is something you can't control. And it's hard for me. You know, I just need you to know I'm, you know, I'm tired this morning. I'm having a bad day, or this is something I struggle with. It's just important for me to be able to be honest with you. That's feedback. And I think it's, you know, it's hard if it's something your partner can't control. There really isn't anything he can do about certain things like snoring. But if it is something that's just hard for you, like, you know, as an example, if you're dating someone who doesn't express their feelings the way that you wish they would. You could say, you know, I respect who you are. I know we're different people. You're not as expressive as I am. And sometimes I struggle with that. But I also know that's who you are and that's part of dating you. So I'm doing my best. And I know you're doing your best too. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, total sense. And I think another thing I've learned from you is about delivering this without you statements, which I think is probably the wrap up point of this section. So instead of it being, you know, you, 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 it needs to be, this is the way it made me feel. This is how I would like us to move through it, rather than it being, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this, I feel this, I feel this, I feel this, rah, 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 dysregulated, annoyed, angry, upset, fight, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that's really helpful in terms of the third horseman on how we can avoid, I guess, being the red flag in our own relationships. Yeah, totally. And the fourth horseman is stonewalling. So stonewalling is the opposite of like acting out, yelling, dysregulation. It is dealing with your dysregulation by completely shutting down, refusing to engage, not responding, maybe disappearing, and giving the silent treatment, that is very painful to be on the receiving end. And that is never going to work in a relationship. And I just want to make a point that stonewalling is different than saying, hey, I am feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling dysregulated. I'm feeling triggered. I need some time. And then actually coming back and talking about it when you're more regulated. Stonewalling, again, is a defense against feeling emotionally overwhelmed. Some of us, when we feel triggered, we lash out. Not good. Not okay. Some of us, when we feel overwhelmed and triggered, we shut down. And that's not going to work either. So if you are someone in a, you know, when conflict occurs in your relationship, that you just disappear or you refuse to communicate, that is not going to work. You need to figure out how you can do it a different way. That is really important. And it's something that I've never dealt with personally. I'm definitely more of the feisty, fiery Lulu than the, you know, disconnecting and not communicating. But I have been in a relationship with someone that stonewalls. And I don't think until you have been, you can truly understand the infuriating impact of stonewalling. I had just never experienced it before. It was almost like his brain had disconnected from his mouth. He could not speak. I was asking him like anything, like have you got nothing to say here? Total silence, not even a word, no body movement, nothing. And then I would get really angry. Like, how can you fucking do this? How can you not say anything? Like what is going on? This is so weird. Still nothing. And now I understand what it was stonewalling. You know, you said you either like get hot and feisty and fiery or you get cold and withdrawn. And my boyfriend definitely has a tendency to stonewall. He definitely has more of a tendency to go towards the stonewalling. So it's a very active management piece from both of us that if there ever is conflict, it's me managing my part, which is that I am not going to lash out. I'm not going to be defensive. I'm not going to criticize. I'm not going to get angry and hot headed. And he has to manage his side, which is that I want to run away. I want to be quiet. I just don't want to engage in this. And I'm going to stay present and I'm going to stay communicative and I'm going to hold you. And we're going to say, this feels horrible. Let's work through it. So I think that that is such an important one for anyone listening. You can be your own red flag. And let's remember, let's tie it back to what we're talking about. If you stonewall, you will no doubt think that they are the red flag. They are too hot in conflict. They are too feisty. They are too fiery. They're crazy. They're psycho. But the reality is that underneath that, you can actually be the red flag because you are stonewalling, which is not a healthy way to deal with conflict. The most important thing for you to be a healthy partner and to make sure that you are not 
accidentally, unconsciously sabotaging your relationships is that you are showing up as a mature adult in your relationships. And most people do not, especially if you haven't done any work, because we're still relying on our old childhood coping strategies, our protective strategies. And what that means is when we felt disappointment or we got hurt as a child or love was withdrawn or we were frustrated, we knew what worked in our family. We knew what emotions were allowed, which ones weren't. If we had to go hide in our room and deal with it on our own, that's what we did. If we, if in our family we lashed out and that's the only way we got attention, that's what we will continue to do. So you need to make sure, and you mentioned it earlier, Louise, about like the inner child stuff. The past is often running our relationships. And so we need to heal, clear those things out and be very aware. What are our buttons? What are our triggers? What are our patterns? So that we don't keep using those same mechanisms and keep repeating the same patterns, keep disrupting the peace, keep pushing people away when in fact what we want is to bring them closer. We need to learn new tools and we need to show up as adults. When we can do that, we choose other adults to date and two adults can build a relationship together. An adult and a child or two children cannot. That is the perfect place to end today's episode. And your point about is your past running your present, I think is actually the theme that underpins this entire episode. So we've looked at specific situations where you can actually be the red flag in a situation, you can actually think it's someone else, but that red flag behavior is always driven by the past, by the unhealthy cycles and the beliefs that you learn way before you were consciously aware of it. So I think that's just the perfect place to end that like Dr. Terry said, these cycles were learned a long time ago, but they can be broken right now. And by listening to this podcast, you are already one step closer to doing that. And what is on the other side is nothing like what you have left behind. So we have so many more things we want to take you through. I mean, literally, we could do like four versions of this episode. And I think that we probably we probably will keep going through this because they are some very, very fundamentally important things. But for now, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for being a part of this journey. If you enjoyed and took value from this episode, please do drop us a review on Apple and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified when our new episodes dropped. And also be sure to share it on your socials with Dr. Terry and I. Thank you, Terry. I love you and I will see you next week. Thanks, Louise. Love you too. Bye. Hello, I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. And we're the hosts of Seeing Red. We deliver intriguing, terrifying and dumbfounding true crime stories each and every week. With a focus on cases from the UK, we do occasionally venture overseas. We've covered everything from the mysterious death of professional footballer Emiliano Sala to the attempted murder of Victoria Cilias, a woman who fell from the sky and lived to tell the tale. Binge our bulging back catalogue and join us every Wednesday for a new episode of Seeing Red.